We're back. It's week 11 of the Brotherly Sports Podcast presented by the Fans Place. Wex, Rory, and Connor all back in one place, although we're on the call. And Connor, it's been a busy week. Did you change your name on the Zoom call? (laughs) I keep forgetting that it defaults to that now. It's from a a trivia, weekly trivia that I was playing for the past month, and you had to change your name so they could put you in breakout rooms with your team. But for some reason, now it defaults to that every time. (laughs) Clear. This isn't sports trivia. This is Harry Potter weekly trivia. True. Harry Potter weekly trivia. Man of many talents over here. I respect it. I respect it. Big Harry Potter guy. A few of the books came out on my birthday, so... When that happens, you grow up with the books, and then they come out on your birthday. It's it's meant to be. I'm <laughs> surprised Connor doesn't have a Quidditch podcast. <laughs> there is a Quidditch World Cup in Middlebury every year in the United States. College is now a Quidditch club teams, and you can go to the Quidditch World Cup. Oh, I remember that. That's right. Mm-hmm. That uh, blew up back in 2011 when they released the final few movies. Yeah, maybe I'll bring in some Quidditch fun facts for next week's podcast so we can talk magical sports as well as real sports. Victor Crumb, MVP of the World Series. Yes. <laughs> All right, back to real sports that aren't played with uh, broomsticks. We've just got pieces of wood, non-magical wood. <laughs> Baseball, hot and cold performance. <laughs> Touch the handle. If it's hot, there could be a fire in the hallway. Ah, my hand, that's hot. This was hot too. What does warm mean? My hot performance of the week, the Dodgers bats got hot again. I think this is the third straight week I've talked about how good the Dodgers are at hitting baseballs. Seager hit for 400 in the series in 20 at bats and had an on-base percentage of 556. So when you see him at the plate, just assume he's going to get on base. Yeah, we've been... We've kind of been waiting for this version of Seager for a few years. He came out pretty hot in the first couple of years in the in the league. He, he wasn't quite as good um, last year. Had a good sort of short season this year and continued that into the postseason. But yeah, there there are, there are moments when he did carry that Dodgers team through the throughout the playoffs. Um, but then of course their supporting cast was good enough to get it done in the end against the Rays. I think would be pretty much impossible not to mention Randy Rosarena again. 10 home runs this postseason. That's more than he's had in his career <laughs> in the last two seasons combined. Granted, he didn't, hadn't played a whole bunch of games, but that's still pretty insane. And then got to give Clayton Kershaw his due, and I know Connor will talk about this as well, but um, for a guy that's been much maligned for his postseason struggles, um, he won two out of the four games, gave up three earned and 11 two-thirds inning pitch. You knew if you know if it was going to game seven, he probably would have been back out there in some capacity. So good for Kershaw. I have to think he's a Hall of Famer at this point, and I think that probably cements it for him. I'm sure he's got a few more years left in him, but uh, it's, a, it's good to see him finally get that, get that ring. Yeah, I think for me, it's, it's interesting. Obviously, Kershaw getting his ring was great. Uh, Roy talked about Rosarena, and then the Dodgers' bullpen, the flip they did between games one through four, then games th- five through six. I think they threw 10 and two-thirds shutout innings in games five and six with 16 strikeouts <laughs> after – basically giving up a run and inning the first four games. So they really, they really turned it around super cold, the first portion of the series, and then absolutely slammed the door during five and six. And it's a large reason why, if not the main reason why outside of Seager's bat and timely hitting by Betts and Turner, um, the Dodgers won that world series. And I think it's interesting. I don't think 
for how much money they spend and the payroll they have, they don't get quite the bad reputation the Yankees do. Maybe it's 21 more rings, but for the payroll they have, I think relatively people are happy to see the Dodgers get a ring, especially for Kershaw fans out there at the career he's had to be able to have a World Series ring and, and go through that. So I don't know. It was a series to watch with be happy with either team ones and it's not from Tampa or LA and it's kind of fun to see Kershaw get his ring and the Rays will be back again a lot of young talent so we'll see them again in postseasons to come yeah I think um people were kind of excited for the Dodgers mainly because most people know that they were cheated out of a World Series a couple of years ago with the Astros winning so it sort of yeah. feels like redemption for them um and if yeah, I think also if any team was going to win the World Series on a short season and it wasn't going to feel like they didn't earn it, you know, it it would have to be the Dodgers. They kind of earned it a few years ago. They didn't get their ring. They got it now. Um, I don't necessarily think there'll be an asterisk after this one, to be honest, um, which is which is pretty cool all the way around. Yeah, because you knew coming into the season they were the best. Right. Mm-hmm. They were the best start to finish and – were great during the playoffs there's there's no doubt in anyone's mind I think really that they're the best team in major leagues this year but I think if you think about that too though then think about second best team in the major leagues I mean obviously the Rays lost the World Series but you can make an argument that the Braves mm-hmm. really were the second best team in MLB I mean they were up 3-1 they had every chance to close out that series in game five against the Dodgers they let it slip away so um, you know I, I talk about teams with a lot of young talent um, who are who are here to stay I, you're going to see a probably a Braves Dodgers struggle in the NL for quite a while I would think when you mentioned the Braves I thought you both were going to spin zone this into talking about the Reds and their improvements (laughs) I don't think that can be done right now (laughs) not after their playoff performance (laughs) actually good point yeah then the Reds I guess could be the third best team in the majors since they only lost to the Braves one could argue (laughs) there it is spin zone all right, liked and hated. Music, sweet music. I liked the internet trolls and even the current uh, MLB players immediately roasting Kevin Cash on Twitter when he took Blake Snell out after 73 pitches. That was just peak baseball internet right there. I texted Rory too and said, why did he pull Snell out when that happened? And I don't know. I go back and forth on that. Snell definitely had his third third time through the order issues. So all the numbers from historical numbers were pointing towards Snell going to have trouble that inning. So Cash made the re- probably a good decision in pulling him, um, depending on the feel he had that game. And Snell was pitching the best he pitched in months. Um, so – it was tough to see, and then I think the questionable part is bringing in Anderson there with how much he had struggled throughout the rest of the World Series. I don't, I don't think necessarily pulling Snell out was a huge issue, but it was just replacing him with Anderson and the way Betts had been hitting right-handers compared to how he'd been hitting left-handers. It was an interesting choice. Yeah, and Anderson had given up, what, eight runs in the last six appearances? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the, the thing about Cash, which was interesting, and I don't – if you go back to – um what was it, game two that Snell pitched first? And he actually – he was doing exactly the same thing. He cruised. And I think in four and two-thirds innings, he went from allowing, I want to say, one hit to blowing up really, really quickly. Um, gave up a few runs. And so, I think for Kevin Cash, that's probably in the back of his mind. It went from zero to 60 quickly. In that outing, he's hitting, you know, the top of the order. He looks as good as he did in game two. But 
you know, that, that, that could happen. At the same time, you, you know, with the analytics today, there are definitely moments you watch managers over managing um, and doing everything by the numbers. And sometimes you got to trust your gut a little bit more. You know, I mean, to be fair, some of the raised players were talking after the game. They know that analytics, large reason why they were there in the first place. They don't really have a ton of superstars. And so they can't really fault the strategy, even though in that one particular moment, you know, it really didn't look like the right decision. But to Connor's point, I do think bringing in Nick Anderson is the, is the, the problem with the whole situation. I mean, in a, in a 162-game season, when you're halfway through, I think you make that call because you need Nick Anderson to get right and be right for the rest of the year. And so you keep putting your, 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 your good relievers in tough situations to try to get them to the point where they get over the hump and they get back to, you know, as dominant as they have been. In a World Series where you've got two games left in the season, hopefully, if you win the one that you're in, you got to go with your best hand in that particular moment. Nick Anderson was not that guy. So I think that's a bit surprising. And, you know, if he had made a different call there, if they'd gotten out of that inning, I think the commentary would have more been around the fact that it was a bit iffy of a call, but at the end of the day, no one scored. So you can't, you can't really fault him for it. I do think the Nick Anderson decision was weird. For me, my uh, hate for the week was Justin Turner. I've never won a World Series. I've never been close to winning a World Series. I certainly haven't lost a few and then won one. I can imagine how much he wanted to be part of that celebration and get back out there on the field, but it's about as tone deaf of a moment as you can have. Um, you know, he's a veteran player. He's been around the block. A lot of people obviously dealing with COVID around the country. It's just not, not a good look for him to, to insist that he goes back on the field for a celebration. You know, you, you kind of feel for the guy. He got all the way there, and then sort of in the moment where you get to have that, that moment, you have, to, you have to sit out and sit on the sidelines. But there are a lot of people around the world who have suffered much worse than that. So um, I think that's a pretty, pretty tone-deaf response to that situation for Justin Turner. And I know he's taking some flack for it, and he probably should. I would echo what Rory said there. I won't speak much more on it. But for me, I also like the fact that Dave Roberts got a World Series as a manager who by all accounts, everyone loves Dave Roberts, thinks he's a great guy. Good to see him to get a win, to be able to manage all those pieces. And obviously, I still remember him for the iconic Game 4 ALCS steal, Red Sox versus Yankees, when the Red Sox won their first World Series. Rory and I were living in Boston at the time, so we were watching that game. And it's crazy to think that he went from that, from being able to bring a team down, be on a team that will one for the first time for being 3-0 down in a series, brought the Dodgers back 3-1 in the NLCS and then was able to take them through the World Series. So just cool to see him get a ring as a guy that's all around well-respected by pretty much everyone in the game. Yeah, and speaking of managers, we saw over the past few days the Chicago White Sox rehired Tony La Russa. They did, which, I mean, Tony La Russa has certainly had plenty of success. Um, you can't You can't doubt his track record, but – he also, I don't know about, you know, the vibe on the south side of Chicago is that that's a young team, a lot of energy. They sort of play the new game of baseball. Tony La Russa was really sort of an old school manager. You know, I'm not sure bat flips are really his thing. <laughs> so I, that's going to be a really interesting um, mix of old school and new school. It could work out really well. Um, I, I'm, you know, Tony La Russa has clearly observed the game from a little bit of a distance here recently. You know, I, I will say you've seen – you saw with the way Dusty Baker managed the Astros this year. I haven't seen him manage some other teams pretty poorly. I, I thought he actually did a really good job of, of sort of mixing the old school and getting that clubhouse under, under control with – in the playoffs, you actually saw him manage, you know, sort of like a, a newer school analytics um, type guy in a lot of spots. Um, if Tony La Russa can sort of find that line as well, I think 
I think that'll be a great hire for the for the South Side there in Chicago. But it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. All right, moving on to the English Premier League and the Champions League. United 5-0 over Airbay Leipzig. That's just a huge tally for United to put up against a pretty solid front in Leipzig. Yeah, that um, I bulleted that out from the Champions League. Leipzig was one of the teams with sort of a sleeper pick. They made the semis of the Champions League last year. Um, Julian Nagelsmann is the coach over there. He's 32 or 33 years old. He's sort of the, the coach of the future um, over there in, in Germany. Rashford had a hat trick. That's a pretty stunning result to be honest, in the Champions League. United have looked okay-ish in the Premiership, certainly not good enough to drop five in the Champions League over a side as, as, with as much quality as Leipzig had. A couple other notes from the last week. If you haven't watched it, uh, Mikhail Antonio had a stunning overhead kick for West Ham against Man City um, from within the box. It was, it was very impressive. He's been on a pretty crazy run of form since the restart in June of last year. Second most goals in the Premiership behind Harry Kane. Unfortunately, he then got injured later in that match. So West Ham are going to have a hard time, I think, getting goals for the next month or so while he's, while he's out. Um, and then another interesting tidbit from last, last weekend, uh, Everton and Villa both lost in the same weekend, which the way they've been playing, that's, that's pretty crazy. Villa lost 3-0 to Leeds off a um, Bamford hat trick. Um, it's just sort of the way the Premiership has gone this year. It's been a total free-for-all. Um, the, those teams are still at the top of the table. Well, I guess Villa technically is behind Liverpool with a game in hand. Uh, Liverpool won their first match with Van Dyke, you know, fully out. So I really think it's going to be a pretty crazy, you know, premiership season this year. It's going to be cool for those who are fans of, of parody and in, in football. Um, it's going to be a good season to watch a lot of those matches. So it's fun to see young Americans in the Champions League and the Premier League getting signed by these big European teams. And we've talked to a little bit about it before, but it, it's fun to see them starting to get that exposure, that experience in at that level of competition to start developing the younger American core as we start going into 2022 World Cup qualifying here pretty soon. Yeah, shout out to uh, Sergino Dest, who is the first mm -hmm. American to play you know, full 90 minutes in a Clasico, and by all accounts was the best player for Barcelona on the field for those 90 minutes. Got a number of Americans in the Champions League, the most, I think, ever playing in the Champions League and for some for some top sides as well. So I, this, can, this can really only help the U.S. as we continue to progress as a nation in terms of playing quality football at the highest level. Oh, come on, U.S. in the qualification rounds. Not screw this up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If you thought 2018 was disappointing, you know, with some of the momentum now and some of these kids getting a shot at these levels, the U.S. can't qualify in 2022. There's some – that's going to be hugely disappointing. Yeah. May need to just burn the whole thing to the ground. Pretty much. <laughs> Maybe we should just join up with Mexico and create a super team. <laughs> yeah, United 2022 instead of 2026. Yeah, <laughs> just for Just for soccer. Yeah, we can let Canada in just to see if they have any tough guys. <laughs> All right, other kind of football, NFL football. Are you ready, ready? We're ready! Are you ready for some football? 
uh, week seven review. What was the most exciting, interesting game you guys watched? For me, Cardinals 35, Seahawks 34 in overtime. It was a matchup of two short quarterbacks, shortstop Kyler Murray and second baseman Russell Wilson. It went down to the wire, and it was a pretty fun game to watch. It's just another weird Seahawks game. I think the Seahawks, it's every week the Seahawks just decide what new challenges they can put Russell Wilson through to see what he could win, and he just didn't have it this game. I think three interceptions is the most Wilson's thrown in a game in a long time. Honestly, I think it's more so points toward the Cardinals as actually being a, a contender in that division now as opposed to anything negative on the Seahawks. Yeah, I do. I do agree with that. I think the Cardinals—they've had some defensive struggles. Um, the offense is clearly pretty talented. They match up pretty well against the Seahawks because the Seahawks' secondary is is definitely the weak spot on that team. I just can't believe Russell Wilson had two chances to win it in overtime and, and didn't capitalize on either of those. That's not very Russell Wilson-like. What's probably the most interesting to watch for me was the Lions-Falcons game, where you know all Todd Gurley has to do is go down on the two or three yard line. And the clock essentially runs out. Falcons can kick a field goal and, and win that game. Instead, he somehow gets sort of pushed into the end zone. And uh, the Lions managed to, to march down the field in the last, the last minute and uh, score a TD there at the end to win. I think it was 23-22, if I remember correctly. But um, a lot of commentary after the game about how Gurley – Gurley's been in that situation before. He knows he needs to go down. The coaches told him to go down. Somehow he just didn't manage to make it down. <laughs> you know, the Lions – are sort of on that fringe line of teams that maybe have a chance, but don't actually look as good as their record. They're only three and three, but they look like a two and four team at best. So they'll, they'll have to show something this weekend against the Colts for anybody to take them seriously. Yeah. That'll end up being a prove it game. Absolutely. I think it's, you could vary. I mean, Thursday night football, how the Falcons beat the Panthers and talk about a team that's probably way better than their two and six record. The Falcons with the way, games they've given up could easily be four and three or five and three at this point since they beat the Panthers. Um, so they're a very dangerous two and six team when that defense decides to show up, their offense can play with anyone when they're healthy. And that was also interesting to see it for me. It was also the Browns Bengals watching most of that game to see the, the, how much the, the lead changed in the, in the final, in the fourth quarter. I think it's now the Bengals have gotten into the fourth quarter with the lead four games this year. And they've lost all four of them, I think. That's another great spin zone for your guys' team. At least we score mm-hmm. enough points to be close in the game, but we still lose enough to get the first pick. <laughs> yeah, the Bengals have the worst record since the beginning of 2019 in games decided by eight points and, le- eight points and less. I believe they're now 112 and one, but it's very Cincinnati-like when it comes to sports. <laughs> oh, man. Moving on to the storylines in the NFL – the fact that the Browns are still in the hunt for not just a wild card spot, but the division is ridiculous considering they had beer fridges solely for the purpose of celebrating when they finally won a game. And now they're five and two and they're two games out first place in the AFC North and they've got a legit shot. They look decent. I think it shows how much a coaching change can help impact the team. It's part of, they brought a lot of new pieces together last year. Um, and it's tough to figure that all out in one year, but they also did bring in a new head coach. And think about it, they're doing five and two without Chubb too over these past couple of games. And you bring Chubb back into that offense where you've already got Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb. You've got Brian Harrison Bryant showing up now when Austin Hooper was out. Now OBJ goes down with a torn ACL, unfortunately. 
Uh, but that offense is is talented. When Baker Mayfield is 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 on his game, I think the Browns are very very tough to beat. Um, with all the offensive weapons they have, and that defense can show up with Garrett absolutely dominating on the defensive line. Um, they're a tough team to beat, but a lot of that rides on Baker Mayfield's shoulders if when he shows up and when he doesn't is basically how the Browns go at this point. I think the Browns are undefeated in games the following week after Baker Mayfield does his celebratory dances. It's a hip-hop music in the locker room, so there's a stat to watch. <laughs> Speaking of teams that shouldn't have a chance to win their division, the Washington football <laughs> team is – I don't even know how – with a tie, I guess they're a half game behind the Eagles in the, in the NFC least. But I was just looking at the total point differential for that division is negative 184 points. The division as a whole has, in all of its combined games, scored 184 points less than all of its opponents. On the flip side of that, you've got the NFC West – which I believe is let's plus 185. So basically the exact opposite of that. You've got the NFC West. And speaking of the NFC East, the Cowboys are just completely imploding. They traded Everson Griffin, dropped um, or released on Terry Poe and, and Daryl Worley on that defense. Mike McCarthy does not look any better than he looked in his last, you know, little bit of time there at Green Bay. He's got a mutiny on his hands. Didn't he lose the locker room? Pretty publicly. He has to have lost the locker room at this point. Um, Ezekiel Elliott has not really stepped up the way people thought he'd going to step up. He had that vicious hit on Andy Dalton, which I don't know if Andy Dalton was the answer at quarterback, but he definitely didn't deserve to go out the way that he did. He's a, he's a really good guy kind of all the way around. So we'll see what they have in Ben DiNucci most likely. You know, the Cowboys are definitely trending in the wrong direction and yet are also still only a half game out of, out of first place. The other storyline – I've been wa I'm watching this year at this point the it's sort of the year of the rookie quarterback. I mean, Joey Burrow looks as good as advertised. Justin Herbert may actually be better um, than Joe Burrow. His his deep ball accuracy is pretty insane. He throws a, a pretty crazy, great crazy deep ball. And then you've got Tua's debut. Excited to see what he can do with a Dolphins team. Um, but at least as of right now, it looks like everybody, you know, who took those quarterbacks got it right in this draft, which is more than you can say. You know, typically when you draft a number of quarterbacks that high, usually at least one or two of them don't pan out. Early returns are promising there. And another stat just to show how bad the NFC East is with the four teams that are in there, they have a combined seven wins. The Pittsburgh Steelers by themselves have six wins. <laughs> it's just it's, kind of obscene. <laughs> it, it's bad. <laughs> it's really bad. I think it would be pretty interesting to see if someone like the Cowboys, who still has a decent amount of talent, went after someone like Ryan Fitzpatrick. You go and get a, a decent quarterback like Fitzpatrick and put him with that talented wide receiving core in Elliott, and you might have Dallas coming back to win that division if they can put it together. Just get a, someone, someone needs to spark, light a fire under that team and figure it out. And someone like Fitzmagic could do that, which would be a pretty interesting trade to see, especially with. I mean, I feel like we say this, I say this in every podcast, the Eagles would be good if they could keep people healthy. They just can't keep their team healthy at all. So keep people healthy and keep the right quarterback and re-sign them. Right. So <laughs> it's been a, it's been an interesting year for sure with the, you'd be interested to see if the NFL at some point would change the rules. Even if a, it's the best records that make the playoffs to see a team like the NFC East not actually send anyone to the playoffs. That would be beautiful. Do you guys remember the scene in uh, the movie Moneyball 
where uh, Billy and his assistant coach are talking to Scott Hatterberg in the living room. And uh, the assistant coach says, yeah, maybe I can teach one of the fans to play first base. I feel like that's where the Cowboys are at the quarterback position. They're just going to pull a kid from high school out of the stands and say, hey, throw on the helmet. Let's just see how this works. We'll go as far as we can. We can't get any worse. How's the elbow, Scott? I can't throw the ball at yeah. all. You're throwing your last ball from behind home plate, is what I'd say. Huh. Good news is, we want you at first. We want you to play first base for the Oakland A's. Okay, well, I've only ever played catcher. Scott, you're not a catcher anymore. But the thing, the thing is, is uh, you don't know how to play first base. Scott? That's right. It's not that hard, Scott. Tell him, Wash. It's incredibly hard. Hey, anything we're doing is, and we're going to teach you. Wait a minute here. I mean, what, what about uh, you? Jason's gone, Scott. Giambi, you want me to take Giambi's spot at first base? Yeah. What about the fans? Yeah, maybe I can teach one of them. The fans do. Good one. I mean, they might as well. The problem with the Cowboys, though, at this point, I don't necessarily even think it's quarterback. Is that the, the entire starting offensive line pretty much is out with injury. So, you know, Andy Dalton has always been the type of quarterback. You put some talent around him. You give him a good offensive line. He's pretty good. Um, he can manage a game. He's not going to lose you the game. As soon as he starts getting a bunch of pressure in his face, where the Cowboys right now are in terms of protection, um, he's going to start crumbling. And I hate to see what's going to happen with a quarterback, you know, unproven quarterback like Ben DiNucci getting thrown out there in the middle of that. Um, we'll see what happens. And, Connor, we didn't get to talk about your storyline yet. You had Brady versus Belichick. Yeah, I'm still tracking that now. The Pats are 2-4, and four, and the Bucks are 5-2. and two. And I think I saw saw an article. I didn't actually end up reading it. That the Bucks are one of the back again is one of the Super Bowl favorites after the run they've been on the past few games. And I think it does show you the the importance of a preseason. You miss those four games, bringing a bunch of new pieces together, and the Bucks kind of waded their way through the first few games. And now they dominated the Packers in that game. And the Packers are a five and one team went out and dominated again last week against the Ra uh, the Raiders. So it's it'll be interesting to see, to track that Bucks team. We, we all knew that defense was going to be good. It was just a question of if the offense could, could mend with all those pieces and you go out and get Fournette. Now you've got Antonio Brown coming in too, just as Chris Godwin goes on the – gets injured again. And it's uh, – <laughs> that team is dangerous. So I think – you could argue that Brady has so many weapons at his disposal that even an average quarterback could do pretty well there, but they've been domin absolutely dominating the past few weeks. And on the, abs the flip side, the Patriots have been getting flattened by, by everyone. Cam Newton has not looked good Af after the first couple of weeks when they gave the Seahawks a run for their money. He's, he's looked very bad since might even get benched if he, if he plays the same way. So They've got a lot to figure out there in New England, and I think they're just getting started down in Tampa Bay. So we'll see. Yeah. Well, he did have uh, – he might have some brain fog from the Rona, right? Yeah. Yeah. Buccaneers, from some of the more widely accepted efficiency metrics, are more than 10% better as a total football team that takes in offense, defense, special teams into account than the second-best team, um, which uh, right now looks like it could be Kansas City or Baltimore, depending on how you look at it. 
the last time through six games, a team has been 10% better than the rest of the league was 2014 Denver. It was one of Peyton Manning's last good seasons for the, the Broncos there. It hasn't happened in a long time. So that they're even better than the five and two record. I have a feeling I know why that efficiency number was so massive for the Broncos. Cause if I'm not mistaken, that was the year that Peyton Manning threw seven touchdown passes in like week three of the season. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I mean, he had he had 55 TDs the year before, which Broncos were also 10% better than the rest of the league at that point, and in 13, and then in 14, um, I think he started off hot again. Uh, but the Buccaneers' efficiency metrics made them look better than they were, and then they went out and trashed Green Bay um, and kind of proved all those metrics to, the, to be pretty accurate. That defense is so much better than people think it is, especially the front seven, and I think that's sort of the key they have every every bit as much of a chance as anyone else here. Every time that Peyton Manning's seven touchdown pass game gets brought up, I get angry again because I remember that I lost that week in fantasy by five points. And I had Peyton Manning on my team, and I was just hoping for an eighth touchdown pass or something stupid to happen. But that was just so frustrating to lose with seven touchdown passes. But that's neither here nor there. The rest of your team must have been terrible. There were a lot of injuries. It was rough. <laughs> This, but this is just this is another good reminder too that you you cannot take anything that happens in week one of the NFL seriously whatsoever. I mean, after week one, everybody was yelling at Tom Brady. They lost to the Saints. He didn't look good. People completely forgot that it was a weird off season. He was Bruce Arians was yelling at the media. Yeah, the guy had a few weeks with wide receivers he's never thrown with before. Even someone as good as Tom Brady, you know, is going to show some kinks and some rust in that situation. And, of course, here we are now seven weeks into the football season. Tampa Bay is 5-2, and two, and they look like they could be the best team in, in the NFL. Um, I just – I think it's funny that you, you watch, you know, the majority of these, these talk shows and pundits and whoever else, and it's like the sky's falling in after week one of the NFL season every year. And it, it always evens out at some point. Um, the good teams sort of rise to the top. The bad teams fall to the bottom. Um, but everybody seems to forget that <laughs> every year. Maybe it just makes for good – TV, I don't know, but um, Brady's sort of back. Eight, 18 TDs, four interceptions. He's got a QBR over 70. Um, the Buccaneers certainly look like a, a difficult team to contend with. We're seeing the, the return of Gronk as well the past couple weeks, actually starting to get some distance and get some connections. So you're also seeing, I mean, you can't just sit out a year in football, come back week one and, re- and return to the same dominance, but people seem to forget how dominant he really was and lost some healthy. weight when he's healthy. And he's not going to be quite the same player, but he's still a matchup nightmare out there as a wide receiver and just another weapon. It would be fun to see how many more touchdowns Gronk and Brady can get together. Yeah. Can you imagine if Antonio Brown three or four weeks in is even a shell of his former self and that core is healthy. You've got Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown as your starting three receivers. You've got Gronk, as your tight end and then a really pretty powerful looking Ronald Jones in the backfield. He looks as good as he's ever looked as a running back. It's going to be a, that's, that's a pretty daunting task from a defensive perspective. You, you can't really stop all those guys. All right. Moving on to the one last thought. All right. You said sex last call. Rory, we'll go with you first. Final thoughts. Yeah. I've just been tracking, you know, a lot of the, the news on MLB now that the World Series is over. There have been massive layoffs um, from a lot of these teams. You kind of knew it was going to happen. MLB owners said revenues were going to be down. Um, you know, how much money those teams make is a pretty closely guarded secret. So you don't really know how much of that is true or not. It could just be an excuse for a lot of these teams to 
to sort of clean house. Um, a lot of the areas that are getting hit the hardest are in-person scouting departments, which of course, um, you know, there's been sort of a long-term debate at this point on how much you need to rely on a person physically being somewhere versus what the analytics and video tells you. Um, I guess we'll probably see in the next five plus years how that pans out. But a lot of these in-person sort of scouting departments are getting hammered. Um, and so I think the question there is obviously, it, you know, you feel for the, the people in these organizations that are getting let go. And a lot of these people, I think, are longtime, you know, members of these organizations that, that obviously is sort of, the, you know, the first thing you, you think about and feel bad for them. But the flip side of that as well is, you know, translating into offseason spending. There are some very big names on the free agent market. Uh, George Springer, JT Realmuto, Trevor Bauer, just a few sort of rising to the top. I, I just don't know how much money is going to be out there, you know, to be spent on free agents. And I also think MLB teams, you know, if they're going around firing 100 people and then writing $200 million contracts, I mean, you, you find out pretty quickly there how much, how much, you know, they're telling of the truth versus, you know, just using that as an excuse to do some things that they've maybe wanted to do for a while that weren't going to look good from an optics perspective. So I think this MLB offseason is going to be pretty nuts. Um, and so, you know, the question is, you know, how is that going to change the game moving forward? Everybody's sort of moving to this more analytically driven model. Um, you're going to see a lot more video, you know, is that, will that really end up being as effective as a lot of that in-person scouting? Um, I think we're going to start to really, really sort of get the answer to that over the next few years. Yeah. And not just MLB teams, but the, uh, Japanese baseball too. Trevor Bauer's agent Rachel Lupa tweeted that he's uh, open to accept any offers from any MLB or the Nippon Baseball League teams as well if they uh, back the Brinks truck up for him I assume. Can you imagine if Trevor Bauer went over to he would be idolized in Japan I mean he would be the number one celebrity in Japan overnight if he went over there no I mean no absolutely no doubt about it they would go nuts for someone like him as analytically driven as he is with the spin rates and he would he would do unbelievably well in Japan yeah or Korea he might even just go sure. join a uh, k-pop boy band or something <laughs> all right Connor, no, you, you, ne <laughs> you never know Trevor Bauer I so my final thought we don't talk about college sports on here that much and we probably will as the MLB season is ending and college football is heating up now that I think this will be the first week the Pac-12 plays as well maybe if I remember correctly so I for me it's Trevor Lawrence testing positive for COVID story came out yesterday technically according to the rules they need to isolate for 10 days which would put him just after the Clemson Notre Dame game It'd be super interesting to see it was Interesting to see how Dabo Sweeney said he's out for the Boston College game, said nothing about the Notre Dame game. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of loopholes or what they try to pull to make sure that Trevor Lawrence is back for that matchup, which right now, if both of them win this week, looks like a one versus three. And for Notre Dame is a must win, I think, to get in in the playoff contention. If Clemson loses without Trevor Lawrence, I think they can still get in as a one-loss team. I'm not so sure Notre Dame does if they don't beat Clemson without their best player. So it'll be interesting to track that story over the next week and see as that game gets closer and closer what ends up happening with, with Lawrence and, and Clemson and if he suits up for that Notre Dame game. It's hilarious how the ACC is only making guys sit out, what do you say, 10 games? And for yeah, ten days, quarterback yeah. in the Big Ten rules, he's going to sit out, what, three-plus weeks? Right, it's – Every league is, is a little bit different, so I don't know. It'll be interesting to track. We've seen, obviously, 
we'll get on the Cincinnati sports bandwagon here again. Rory and I are big UC fans. Having them seventh in the nation is fun to watch. They already missed a week because they had a bunch of players test positive for COVID. Um, and then they came back in and beat SMU, and now they have Memphis this week. So I think we'll start in Wisconsin. I think halted all activities for a week after a bunch of tests. So I think we'll see. Luckily, the college the college season has a little bit more of a buffer there with the playoffs happening a, a few weeks after the season is supposed to end. So they have some weeks to get to get makeup games in, which will be good. Um, but I think we'll start. We'll see some teams have to take a week off here and there for COVID, for COVID tests, so. Well, that's the Rona, baby. All right, my final thought, my World Series prediction was exactly correct. Dodgers in six. I'm not going to gloat. I saw it coming. Anybody uh, have anything else they want to put in before we head to next week? I would say that technically my Dodgers in five would have been accurate without that insane 8-7 comeback by the Rays, which – could be determined as a statistical anomaly. So in theory, if you play the numbers game, my prediction was right and yours was a statistical anomaly. So I'll take the win on that one. Well, if Blake Snell gets pulled after 73 pitches, that's also a statistical anomaly. <laughs> so it might as well be raising seven or raising four. Should have been raised. I wish it was raising four. That would have been cool. Man, the haters have come out to play at the end of the podcast. All right, that was week 11 of the Brotherly Sports Podcast presented by The Fans Place. Go check out the app in the App Store and download The Fans Place on the Google Play Store or the App Store, really. And you can check out the new website. Guys, is the new website up yet? It is not live yet. It should be in the next week or two. Ooh, so the beta version coming out soon? The beta version of the platform we're hoping to release by the NFL playoffs. So that will... That'll take another couple months, but the actual website where you can learn more about what we're doing, listen to these podcasts, read our blogs, um, and get in touch with us should be live at the beginning of November. All right. We got a whole lot of content coming out, blogs, podcasts, the whole shebang. In the meantime, thanks for listening. We'll see you all next week. <laughs>